Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello once again and welcome back to Pod on the Time. My name's Taylor Payne and I've never been more sure that today is definitely 100% a Thursday. That's right, isn't it, Chris? Definitely Thursday today. No, it's Monday. It's Monday, you know. <laughs> Do you know what? It wouldn't surprise me if that was actually the case. I've got no idea whether I'm coming or going these days. Uh, it's always nice to be back, though. Chris Woff's here and Jacob Whitehead's here. Jacob, you all right? I'm good. I agree. It does feel a lot like a Monday morning. I've had the last two days off, so this is now, you know, I'm, I'm back on it, prepping for Liverpool. But it just does have those uh, Monday scaries. And how are you doing, Chris? Are you okay? I'm very good, thank you. Yeah, I've been parachuted in uh, last month. I wasn't not meant to be on this this show, but um, we've we've had to send George Forced back to extra in. training. <laughs> yeah, well, George is, uh, you know, it's, it's he's he's already too. He's knackered basically after having done pre-season, and so he needs a bit more of a rest. So no, he, he, to be fair on him, uh, he is very very busy today. So I said I would jump in and take on that. He'd be back. He'd be back on Monday. I mean, I say that, and we may get the same situation again. But in theory, he's back on Monday. Everyone, I will say I am not envious of that man's schedule at the minute. He is all over the place, isn't he? So it's uh, we all say good luck, George, and uh, you know take your time off and enjoy it when you can. Uh, but we'll cover it for now. Don't worry, we've got it sussed. So no George today, but Jacob, you've got a cunning plan, haven't you, Jacob? Please tell all. Yeah, well, there was I twiddling my thumbs on my day off and having a bit of a play around with uh, ChatGPT. And beautifully, it is responsive to the instruction, write this in the style of George Culkin. So we can basically build our own AI Culkin on will, on demand. The robots are coming for him. Does, does the world need this? Does the world want or need this? We've already got one. Do we need another one? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's legions there. I mean, this is where the takeover starts. Ultimately, first it's kind of George on, appearing the podcast, then it's George running for political office, uh, then it's George... George starts a company called Skynet. Uh... Yeah, and this is... Uh, I'm sorry if kind of in the annals of history one day kind of uh, historians kind of trace it back to this day and George Culkin's... Uh, first AI appearance and put on the time but there we go it's the risk we have to take in life Colgan Genesis that's what this <laughs> it's all going to go I can't, wrong I can't end. take the bullying from one never mind multiple Georges this will be my it'll be ne- never ending you wait until you hear what AI Woff has to say oh my god <laughs> I can't imagine It'll basically be that Gary Busey interview where he talks about buttered sausage for five minutes. That's that's AI Wolf, isn't it? Anyway, that sounds great, Jacob. We'll, uh, let's have a look at that later on in the show, and we'll come back to that. Um, Chris, early on the week, we finally got the uh, the official confirmation that Lewis Hall had become a magpie after completing that one-year loan move with an obligation to buy, like Jacob was saying on uh, on Monday's show, uh, from Chelsea. Are there gonna, is there going to be anybody left in Chelsea's academy by the time Newcastle are done with them? It's just a filter academy for Newcastle United now, I think. It is. Um, but this is a- another very interesting move. I mean, you look at the fee itself and 
when the obligation is met, as it almost certainly will across the course of the season, I think it's quite easy for the terms to be to be met on the, on the obligation. Then Newcastle are going to be paying around initial sort of twenty seven, twenty eight million could rise to the best part of, of thirty five. And for an eighteen year old who's only played sort of a dozen or so Premier League matches, that seems a lot of money. But he's he's very highly rated. Quite a lot of clubs are looking at him. He's very versatile as well, which you can see from a lot of signings Newcastle made over the course of the last couple of years. He can play left back. He can play left of a back three. He can play in midfield. He can play left wing. And he's very, very technically gifted and, and very much a player in the Eddie Howe mould. And, and being a Newcastle United fan meant that that was able to tempt him even further to get to Newcastle, even though he's from Slough. I'm not sure how many Newcastle United fans were born in, in Slough, but he is one of them. And yeah, I think it's it's what Eddie Howe wanted. Ideally, they would still want another right-sided centre-back, but for all the reasons we've previously discussed, I think that's looking unlikely for the rest of the window. Instead, you look at the business Newcastle have done and they've covered a heck of a lot of positions, um, strengthened in certain areas, and I certainly think that they look a heck of a lot stronger than they did at the start of the window. There's an argument that Lewis Hall covers every single one of the positions they're actually looking for at the start of the window. <laughs> he can play centre-back, he can play left-back, he can play on the wing, and he can play centre-midfield. Eddie Howe's taken Swiss football. Army footballer, basically. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why do they bothered arsing around for the first two months of the window when they could have just sorted out Hall straight in, but... I think he can only play one of those at a time, though, Jacob. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but you wait till you put him through the AI generator and then you've suddenly got four <laughs> or five of them just spreading around the gaff. But I think, again, what you see as well is the age profile of Newcastle squad reducing even further. Yeah. This is building for, very much for the future. And also that British core that Newcastle have. I mean, the vast majority of the signings they've made... Since, since the takeover, barring a few big exceptions in Bruno Gimraes, Alexander Isak and Sandra Tonali in particular, they've brought so many British players and, yeah. and the core of that team is, is English or British and you, you look at it and think that in a few years' time if those players fulfil their potential, Newcastle could have quite a lot of players in that England squad. I'm actually going to be writing on this towards the end of this week about kind of the importance of having Newcastle fans or in the sides kind of going forwards. I think they've got amongst the highest numbers in the lead of boyhood fans supporting them. That's great, isn't it? I think up there with Arsenal. And yeah, I'll be exploring the significance of that. So keep your eyes peeled. Is that just because you're now so excited about because you're fully bought into the Newcastle United fandom now? (laughs) That's where it is. I was very depressed that Everton don't have a single one. A single one. And to be fair, even I don't want to play for Everton. So I can't empathise. Just wait till next week. We'll find out Sandro Tonali's grandma was from Wall's End or something. You know? <laughs> That's why he was in Weatherspoons. So feel free to check out that article from Jacob on theathletic.com. Get yourselves over to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and sign up now and pay just one ninety nine a month for 12 months. We'll have a quick break and we'll be back in a tick. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Hey. 
So thanks to listener Michael Stringer who got in touch via email. It was a lengthy message, so he has a bit of an abridged version. Uh, Michael had a season ticket of his own for what sounds like the best part of 20 years. When he moved away from Newcastle, he gave it up uh, and chose instead to buy individual tickets near his dad and his dad's mate as and when he could to get to the match. Uh, when that became a little bit more difficult, he then started sharing his dad's friend's season ticket, uh, sometimes attending away matches on it as well. The club, he says, are not happy with that arrangement and he doesn't think he'll be able to continue to attend matches in this way. Um, Stuff like this happening all over the place at the minute, Chris, and it's affecting fans and how they've traditionally gone to the match and how they watch football. Family and friends, it's essentially the club are are not happy about him sharing the ticket, but should it really be considered like something illicit, sharing a ticket with a friends and family member? Well, I think there's always been something in the in the terms and conditions, but it's never really sort of been pushed b- back upon. And and so many supporters do this. I know of a lot of friends groups or family members uh, who who do share. I've tickets. benefited from from that in the past with somebody working away, and I've used it exactly. Too. I mean, some of them buy them knowing that because they may live away or they may work away, knowing that they aren't going to be go to every single match, but they want to be able to go to the games that they can go to, and then share that ticket with the their friendship group, their family members. Uh, I know that I have family members and friends who, who've done very similar. And I suppose the club would respond by saying they've brought in this system this year where you can, I think it's 10 times a season, you can switch who is going on a certain ticket. And so the exact name of the person who's going to be at the match is registered on the ticket. You've basically got to link your account with someone else's uh, to be able to do that. Um, and then that's because they want to know who's coming in and their argument is that they want to pr- pr- make it harder for ticket touts if you in that the, the tickets are moved on correctly. There's also the fact that if you can't go to the match, you can sell that ticket back to the club and then basically they will sell it on. Usually I would have thought at a higher price than you've paid for that individual match across the course of, of a season. So there's probably a financial benefit to them as well, although that'll be a side point on it. And I know a lot of fans have, have found this change to be, or the, at least the, this sort of enforcement of this rule to be very difficult going into this year it sort of came around quite quickly yeah. and it also came in with the digital ticketing and I think it, there's been a lot of teething problems with it and I do know a lot of supporters who feel that they've missed out because they may have built up loyalty points at, like that that over a number of years and now they've basically just vanished because the ticket now has to be in someone's specific name so it's brought with it problems I understand the issues Newcastle are trying to resolve and, and as I've said before I think ticketing is almost an impossible issue to please everyone from to make reforms to it given the demand to get in but I do think that maybe this needs a little bit of a rethink yeah, I think the, the loyalty point thing is something which has been an issue as well for fans, hasn't it, down the years where some fans have almost considered it as a bit of a closed shop and that there's some people who are hoarding loyalty points by giving out their way tickets to, to other people to use. I've always been of the opinion that if you're not at the game, you shouldn't get a shouldn't get a loyalty point for not being at that game, but I find it, it it's really hard to to police that in any way, shape, or form, isn't it? It's almost impossible to say if that person isn't there and they've given their ticket to someone else. This is the only way, really, that I can think of making sure the person whose name's on the ticket is the one that's at the game. Um, but it's it's a tricky situation, and and fans are rightly sort of a little bit unsure about it. Yeah, but I think you've also on that front, you've then got the. I agree with you to a, to a certain extent on the loyalty points, but then you've also got like collective loyalty points, essentially, if people have been sharing the ticket sharing over the a number of years, years yeah. then say if two of you are sharing a ticket or three of you are sharing a ticket, you don't always each go to the game, but you share that in different matches. But now the ticket's registered on one person's name, you then have, the other two people have no right towards the loyalty points that have been built up. And so it's all very complicated. I know the away ticket system's changed as well, and it looks like Brighton may actually go down to... 
uh, general sale and a lot of supporters are saying that's to do with the sort of changes that have been made to loyalty points for, for away season ticket holders. Again, I think that did need reform, but whether those reforms ha- are having teething problems, it's, it seems that they are. And I think this is going to be an ongoing issue for as long as there is so much demand for tickets at Newcastle United, which doesn't appear to be lowering at any point. It seems that this is only going to strengthen it in that sense. And so I, it, I'm not having a go at the club because, as no. I say, I, I don't think there is a perfect solution, but maybe I do think it is something that hopefully going forward they're going to actively keep looking at this and see if they can make further reforms so Chris the supporters trust they also made a statement after the Man City game saying they did not support identity checks in the manner they were undertaken which is uh, it's a bit of a shame though it is yeah I mean I think part of the issue here again has been that basically there's been the spot checks on certain tickets I think at Man City what happened was that you would have your ticket you go up and uh, there was a random number where your ticket would actually become invalid. You had to go to the ticket office again, be reissued with a ticket, having shown a form of identification, and then you would be allowed in. And this was basically a system of spot checking, but it was also, that meant that some supporters who maybe don't carry around sort of a driving license, or don't have a driving license, had to carry their passport across the country or whatever. Or uh, And I don't think the information actually gets out there as easily or as as, as well as it, as it necessarily should with these yeah. sorts of things. And so again, it's it's all sort of teething problems. I all think it's, it's come around very, very, very quickly how it's changed from one system to another I think that really there would have been better to have more lead-in time potentially even from the end of last season at the start of this season rather than maybe three weeks before the start of the season there's been a lot of confusion around digital season tickets at St James's Park because of that as well albeit it did seem to work very well for the for the first home match of the season unlike at Arsenal where they had their whole t- digital ticketing system was down and the game was delayed by half an hour or whatever it was so yeah. yes it's it's it, I think there's going to be further problems on this and I'm sure it's something we're going to keep discussing going forward because so many people have so many different competing views on it so at the club they've they've responded quite swiftly in the past and made changes to the ballot after the Villa game and uh, before the Villa game sorry um you can have a little bit of sympathy for them, though, Jacob. This is all happening very quickly, isn't it? And the club are trying to just get themselves through this, this all these new systems and new ways of thinking. I think so. With the amount of changes which have been happening this summer, other factors which they're having to get used to, such as kind of European football. And I think the thing which has been good about the club when these sorts of issues have come up over the last few months is how they have been pretty swift at reacting to stuff. It's kind of not taken multiple weeks. Um, it's actioned. The supporters' trust has been really important and it feels like the club have been listening to them. I know lots of clubs in the Premier League, there have been issues with this and Newcastle and the supporters' trust actually seem to have a really good relationship and uh, the club are kind of actually being proactive about fixing some of these. Absolutely. Right, then thanks again to Michael for that email. An interesting case study and we'll probably come back round to that subject very soon. European football isn't going to make that any easier. Do get in touch. We're all on Twitter, as is the show itself now, at Pod on the Tyne, and most of the tweets from that account do come from our producer, Ollie. Uh, and if you're not on Twitter, you can email us at podonthetyne at theathletic.com. Uh, Chris has a landline as well, of course, which is sadly ex-directory, I'm afraid, so you can't prank call him. Uh, but also thanks to Nick Hillier for his lovely email email from the States. Uh, no thanks to everyone else who tweeted us about the fact that we don't pronounce any of the words right. Uh, Chris, Joe Linton. Well, that, this is what I have been told is, is supposed, I mean, I'm not saying it correctly, I'm sure, because I don't have, I don't have a Portuguese, uh, I don't know a word of Portuguese, but apparently the, the correct way to, to say it is, is Joe Linton, or the, at least a, a mark along that. I know I annoy people doing that, but that's only going to make me want to do it more, I think, going forward. Joe Linton or Joe Linton. I think I don't. I, well, good question. Or is it? Jolinton! 
Well it's that, isn't it? That's how it's supposed to be. I mean, that's how pronounced. it should be, yeah. yeah. That's how everyone should always say it. We should just, every time I say it now, that should just, Ollie should just cut it out and yeah. just put Matt Ritchie's. Is it like when you that's get some it. people who really make an effort, uh, really make an effort, and rather than saying chorizo, they kind of go chorizo. Chorizo. I think that's sort of Chris is the equivalent. I can imagine Chris doing that. You can't say anything, Jacob, after the way you pronounced Castori last week. I genuinely never even considered that I was pronouncing it wrong until I saw that tweet come through as I rode the Tyneweir Metro, and it was a silent journey after that. Um, I think I just always thought, and I pointed this out on Twitter, that it rhymed with the Argentina midfielder, Javier Pastore. Pastore, I, yeah. I suddenly thought that, that those two must be connected in, in some way. That's what I'm blaming my... Uh, an obvious connection. Yeah. An obvious connection. Clearly. Well, those are the way kind of my neurons are fitted, you know, kind of... Are you, are you an Adidas or an Adidas guy? Adidas. He's called Adidas. Adidas. Well, of course, yeah. that is how you pronounce it. We'll get our style guide together on uh, Adidas and all of the rest of it as well. Uh, George didn't get any stick for pronunciation, but he took one on the chin uh, on Twitter when David Templeman had him bank the rights for saying, you know, every three seconds, which is exactly what he does. You know, you know, you know, you know, you know. He does. You he know, very much does. You know. But he doesn't say, you know, like we would. He says, you know, like he does. You know. <laughs> I hope, I hope the AI bot's listening. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Tim Burke gets the prize, though, pronouncing Sandro Tonnelly like it's a town in the Republic of Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, for a nice day trip to Tonnelly on the West Coast. Uh, right, we'll be back in just a moment. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So Liverpool on Sunday, and are we confident going into Sunday's game? Probably could have done without a little internet spat amongst ourselves in the meantime. Bruno Gimaraes responded quite forcefully to a tweet that he interpreted as critical. Uh, perhaps he took exception, Chris, to the word blame in there, which was a little provocative, whether it was intended to be or not. Yeah, this is, I think, one of those 
storms in a teacup, which was sort of unnecessary on all sides, and really everyone's got the sort of wrong end of the stick. And this is not to dig dig anyone out. There was there was a lot of reaction on always in terms of the response to the Man City game. I know that a lot of people thought I was overly positive maybe in some ways about how Newcastle have played I had that both in response to my tweet and then also talk about it on Monday and sort of the contextualising of that but then I know there was a lot of people on the other side who thought some people were overly critical in terms of that Newcastle had gone away to the the European champions, the treble winners, um, and only only lost one nil, only one goal away from 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 getting a point, and really had created a lot of openings. So it was yeah. it was a difficult one in that sense. I, I know there's been a feeling, at least amongst some people with internally at, at Newcastle United, that, that that at least some of the reaction was a little bit over the top, given that Newcastle had won five one on the open the day against Aston Villa. And then against the, the, the go to Man City, and for all those reasons, have, have only lost one nil, um, and that shouldn't be seen as necessarily as a negative. I mean, I think that what Newcastle will do is they do in so many other situations is is just use this as fuel going forward to 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 just make sure that that. It, but I think it will actually, in a perverse sort of way, bring everyone closer together. Unity has been the strength of Newcastle United since the takeover and since Addy Howe has come in. That's how they survived so comfortably from such a difficult position. That's how they got into the Champions League last season. And I think that basically this is just trying to preach further of that and it was a spur of the moment thing from Bruno Gimraes or someone close to him whoever it was who actually sent the tweet and maybe the, the the tweet itself initially was poorly worded and I do think that yeah again as I say it's a bit of a storm in a teacup and I think everyone just needs to calm down a little bit yeah Chris you said as well that it might not even have been Bruno himself reply and lots of players they use agencies and admins and all sorts of things don't they for the for the social media does it matter who wrote it though given that it's in his name well, I think in in the sense that it comes out as Bruno Gimaraes's name, everyone screen grabs it and you see it as Bruno Gimaraes. Whether it was him or not, I'm not saying definitively wasn't, but I very much suspect just the wording of it didn't strike me as Bruno's got very very good English, but it didn't strike me as the way that he actually speaks English. Equally, it may it may have been him, and the fact that it's on his name means that the rest of it is almost irrelevant. But I do think this is almost the danger of when you have other people working on someone's account Alan Sam Maxman had a lot of people doing things on his account and for the very for the vast majority of that that was seen as a positive but equally if it's someone almost one step away from the player again it's the it's the potential pitfalls of social media at the end of the day as you say though it's it's practically irrelevant because every it gets associated that it was Bruno Gimaraes and that he had those views and that's what makes the headlines because it came from his Twitter account fans they're always going to have opinions about the team and about individual players as well and they're going to express them on social media aren't they I mean there's a lesson to be learned here but what is it is should players just completely blank and ignore all praise or criticism the problem with that is that you end up with the very sort of media training type attitude and the, the communications are therefore bland aren't they whereas you want interaction from players you want fans to be able to have access to their to their heroes you know yeah it's an interesting one it just it really shows the double-edged sword which you kind of have in football at the moment where we want players to be showing their personalities but then conversely whenever anything bad happens you you see kind of messages which players receive on Instagram on Twitter and obviously this is a minority of people doing it but you really empathise with footballers who on the one hand are wanting to share his personality and the connection which Newcastle fans have with their club is still pretty unique compared to lots of other clubs yeah. in the country but yet there still is always this risk of course fans should be able to criticise you know yeah I think even criticise players kind of if it's it's fairly and sort of say what they truly think of performances it's just making sure it doesn't cross that line I mean with this it wasn't abusive anything like that it, it was you know and, and I don't think it was even intended necessarily as 
to, to, to be kind of hypercritical is probably just clumsily worded. And yeah, going back to what Chris said about it kind of being something which maybe could have been handled better by everyone, but you kind of understand why in, in the sensitivities of this topic, kind of, you know, it's, it's Bruno's profession, it's, you know, the, the account is trying to cover Newcastle in a way which they see as kind of being robust, just how you get into these sorts of issues. It's a really difficult one, to be honest. And I'm not sure if I have a perfect solution to it. And I think these incidents will probably arise. It's just like anything, I think, take five seconds before hitting the send button and whatever you do. I mean, if, if fans, uh, Chris, are saying Bruno or anyone else on the pitch recently has, uh, has been uh, underperforming, then they're, they're, they're not exactly right there, are they? I mean, the stats show the lads are still performing, the lads are still playing well. Yeah, I mean, I would maybe agree with the suggestion that Bruno Guimaraes in the first two games of the season hasn't been the glittering Bruno Guimaraes we've seen at certain points. But the the two games of the season and the first one was a 5-1 victory. You've also got a new midfielder who's come in in Sandro Tonali who takes some of the pressure off Bruno, which may, maybe he can make even more of those uh, difficult attempting telling passes. And then I mentioned again, they went to Manchester, they went the Etihad, a ground that Newcastle have only won at once, which was in the League Cup. They've never won there in the league. Man City won the 17th straight home match. They're the European champions. And I don't think it's unfair to say that certain players, or for people to have different opinions on how players have performed. And that's where I haven't got an issue with it. People say last weekend, I said, I thought that Dan Byrne played all right. A lot of people said the opposite. I thought uh, Joe Linton struggled. A couple of other people said the opposite. That's what we are. Football is a game yeah. of opinions. It's it's not it's not an objective thing. It's a subjective thing. And I do think I, I do think that people should be allowed to express their opinions and say that if they thought someone played poorly or, or or should should the team be changed or whatever. Even if even if I see that as an overreaction after one match, it's not just for me to say that. Other people can have different views. So I think it's just a, it's a, it's about how you express that. It's the degree to which that criticism comes in. And it, 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 internally, I'm sure that very few players, even if they know they've played badly, accept all of the criticism externally. I'm not talking about this situation. I'm just talking about in general. And therefore, that's the sort of pitfalls of social media if they see these sort of things and interact with people. And so over time, let, let, let's see if that changes. I'm sure Bruno Gimraj is going to have an absolutely wonderful season. Supporters will continue to get behind him. And I, I think this, again, as I said, a storm in a teacup. And Jacob, as Chris said before, it maybe takes a little bit of the pressure off Bruno with Sandro Tonali being there. But does that mean it also maybe takes away the focus from one of the two of the uh, the good things that he does, the things that he does really well during a game uh, as a result of sharing that playmaking role with Tonali? Probably to an extent, we're really early on in the evolution of this midfield as he's trying to move towards this real fluidity. And I think to an extent, it does kind of explain uh, why maybe people don't think that Bruno's had for starts of season he might have you know had in previous games because they are having to get used to when to attack, when to push, when to defend. And in theory it should free both of them up. It's almost just more a bit of a timing thing. We saw against Aston Villa just quite how fluid and creative they could be. I really enjoyed some of what Tonali was doing against Man City in terms of actually being quite aggressive in his pressing. He was almost one of the midfielders who really was, you know, going going for it and didn't look too bowed by the kind of absolute wealth of runners which City was sending everywhere um so in in the long term it'll be absolutely fine if there even is an issue now which I kind of doubt <laughs> doubt that there truly is yeah Bruno and uh, Sandro are now going to square up to Alexis McAllister's red card was overturned on appeal Chris after you were 
on Monday, absolutely desperate for that red card to stand, weren't you? Uh, Liverpool's midfield options are slightly healthier than they might have been, but should be a cracking contest nonetheless. Well, I was desperate for it to be for the challenge to have been different. How it was you in my defence, Chris. I, Just in my defence, I did see it. I didn't think it was a red card, <laughs> so I'm not surprised that that was overturned. I think that was always going to be the expectation. It means that he probably will play in that deep lying midfield role, yeah. uh, which again is probably not exactly what he does. He'd probably be prefer to be a little bit further up the pitch, and he may well be if Liverpool had been able to secure either Lavia or uh, Caicedo's signature, but they haven't. And so uh, as things stand, Liverpool haven't made another sign beyond Endo, unless Endo comes into the side, which I think is is unlikely. Um, but they, yeah, they have they have depth there. they have Newcastle's bogey side in recent years, as I've, I've said before, they just seem to be someone Newcastle struggle yeah. to, to to get beyond. But I, I do I I do think that Newcastle have a really good opportunity. I'm not I was going to say I do fancy Newcastle this weekend, but that's always a dangerous thing when I say that. So I'm not going to be that optimistic, but I do think Newcastle have an excellent opportunity. Liverpool look very good going forward, but defensively they look suspect. They still look like they're trying to work things out a little bit. I really fancy Newcastle attacking down Newcastle's left, trying to get in behind Trent Alexander-Arnold, whether Anthony Gordon, Harvey Barnes, whoever it is who starts, whoever it is who comes on. Alexander Isak's pace and, and will, will cause some problems if he starts again, as I suspect he, he probably will. And St. James's Park will be so up for it. 4.30 on a Sunday. This is different to, to being away from home at Anfield. This is, this is St. James's Park. Ferocious atmosphere. Really, really keen to finally get one over on Liverpool. Newcastle felt really that out of the two matches last season, they're left with zero points. And really, you couldn't have argued if they'd have got certainly three, but maybe even four or six points from those two matches. It was it was a, one of those things which was frustrating in so many ways. And so I know I think I think this is this is going to be a really really good game. I really think it's going to be exciting. Absolutely, Liverpool's defence has been a little bit shaky recently as well. So it'll be nice to see our front three get amongst them. Uh, right, and before we finish up. Jacob, I'm going to come to you for a little bit of an update on the AI situation. What's happening with AI Culkin? Well, one thing which AI Culkin and Culkin himself has always been pretty, pretty sceptical of is the state of modern football. Going back to kind of the 1980s when, you know, this is the AI's words, when men were men and tackles were crunching, asked him about Alexis McAllister's and this was what he had to say about it. You know, it's a peculiar thing, this transformation that's taken over the realm of football, a metamorphosis so profound that it's left many of us scratching our heads and wondering what exactly transpired. We all remember the days of grit, of bone-crunching tackles and turf battles that felt like gladiatorial contests. But alas, those days seem to have drifted away like a wistful dream. In this era, where emotion is worn on sleeves as if they're woven from heartstrings, the pitch has become a canvas for the delicate dance of theatrical anguish, the rough, the tumble, the proud displays of physical prowess that used to be the bedrock of the sport have been overshadowed by a symphony of plaintive cries and dramatic collapses that belong more in the world of theatre than on the football pitch. It is as if the art of acting has fused with football and the players have become the performers and the audience in this grand melodrama. The hard men of yore who had battled through injuries that mere mortals could scarcely fathom seem to have faded into the annals of history. The current generation, armed with sports sciences and an arsenal of medical marvels, appears to crumble under the mildest of pressure. The spirit of the game has been diluted, replaced by a sensitivity that prioritises emotional display over the indomitable will to compete. 
As the tears flow and the dramas unfold, some of us can't help but yearn for the days when the pitch was a realm of raw intensity and fierce battles, untainted by the allure of theatrical despair. You know. <laughs> Good lord, that is terrifying. That is terrifying. Let's retire, retire Colkin then. That's, he never mm. has to be. We never actually have to have the real George Colkin on the podcast again. We'll just have Jacob reading AI. It's quite easy to do in sort of Braveheart style. It's quite enjoyable. <laughs> there must be somewhere that we can feed in episodes of the podcast into something which we can then make that spit out that in George Colkin's voice. If we can do that, then I think we're onto a winner, boys. I think we've revolutionised podcasting if we can do that. It's the fact that we actually sort of might be able to get some tactical analysis out of George if we put it in this way. <laughs> so in the style of George Colkin, please explain Newcastle's use of double pivot. Great. Crack on. I think I think AI would just explode if you tried to get it to do that. With, with it possibly. Or is that sort of oh that's its kryptonite? That's <laughs> how you fight back against the robots. This <laughs> is like the, millenn- the millennium bug is talking about kind of inverted fullbacks. That's it. Get yourselves over to aitheathletic.com forward slash Colkin to subscribe to George Colkin Mark II. Uh, <laughs> we'll have more from AI Colkin hopefully in the future. Uh, lovely stuff. Uh, right, we'll be back on Monday with the real George uh, and his reaction to the Liverpool game and plenty more silliness from Pod on the Tyne. Thank you very much to you two chaps. Thanks to you, Jacob, for all that work you've put in behind the scenes. All I can say is that really was not me <laughs> uh, so I cannot take the uh, I'm, I'm, it's all George it's all George it is all George at the end of the day and thanks to you Chris as well thanks a lot for having us up at this ungodly hour uh, and uh, we'll speak to you very soon thanks a lot mate you're very welcome yes fingers crossed that we are responding to Newcastle United finally getting one over on Liverpool this weekend that would be lovely right uh, we'll see you all on Monday after that Liverpool game. Thanks a lot for listening. This has been Pod on the Tyne. Have a nice weekend. Take care. Goodbye. I'll be back. The Athletic.